welcome to the Peaceful World Schooling Podcast, featuring your host, Angela Harders. We're committed to cultivating a peaceful world beginning right in our own hearts and homes. Together, we believe that the world is our biggest and best classroom, and the people and places in it are our greatest teachers. So I invite you to join me on the adventure of a lifetime, beginning with a conversation that can change the world. Today's episode of the Peaceful World Schooling Podcast is brought to you by the book, Gospel-Based Parenting, a biblical study on discipline and discipling. In this book, you will explore what the Bible really says about spanking and how we can discipline our children the biblical way without spanking or punishment. Every chapter includes a list of discussion and application questions to help you reflect on God's word, God's heart, and your own heart as you seek to discipline and disciple your children like Jesus. Buy your copy today. Hello, and welcome to the Peaceful World Schooling Podcast, where we are committed to cultivating a peaceful world beginning right in our own hearts and homes. My name is Angela Harders. I'm a special education teacher, the author of Gospel-Based Parenting and the Crunchy Kids series, and a proud world schooling mother to two incredible children, Sophia, who's seven, and Benjamin, who is three. Today on the Peaceful World Schooling Podcast, I have the privilege and honor of introducing you to Krista Bevan. Thank you so much for joining us today as we have a conversation that can change the world. Thank you for being with us, Krista. I love that. Thank you, Angela. That's a great intro. (laughs) Thanks. Uh, So to kick us off and jump right in here, can you share with us a little bit about you, your story, your family? Sure. So I am a mama to a little boy who is also, he's almost three. His birthday is Aww. next month, which I, how does that happen? Like, how do we all of a sudden end up with a three-year-old? I'm still trying to figure that out, but here we are. Um, <laughs> and really, you know, I started my journey of mothering long before my son was even born. Mm. So the women that I work with and how I describe myself is as a radical mother. And the reason that I say that is because I, really knew deep down in my bones that my first act of mothering my children needed to be unpacking and dealing with some of the trauma that I had dealt with as a child. Mm. And so in doing that, I am giving them a different opportunity of childhood than I had. And so that, that process for me actually began long before my son was born. I knew that I needed to start doing some of that work on myself And then he, then I became a mother and he came into the world. And of course that work never stops. And he very expertly highlights the places that I need to continue doing work and dig deeper into different parts of myself. And that's just the work that I'm committed to doing, right? Again, these radical mamas that I work with are dedicated to consciously breaking 
cycles of generational trauma and giving our kids a better opportunity. And in that process, really giving ourselves a better experience of life as well so that we can show our kids how it's done. So that is what motivates me. It's what drives me. I am truly madly deeply in love with, with being a mother and raising this incredible child and not even raising him. I feel like it's not my job to raise him. I feel like it's more my job to witness him and create a safe container for him. And he just, like I said, a moment ago was already almost three. So, and I didn't do anything that just kind of happened on its own. And, (laughs) and so it's been with him just developing into this, you know, immensely beautiful soul that I get to spend time with. Wow. That is beautiful. And you're right. It really truly does feel like we blink our eyes and they're three or in my case, my daughter's seven and um, the time does go by so fast. But I love the fact that you mentioned that you didn't start your parenting journey when you became a mom, but it's something that you have been working on and cultivating long before he, your son was even in the picture. Um, and I was, as you were saying that, I started thinking, I'm like, man, I kind of wish that I had, I had done that. Um, I was not expecting um, to be a mom when I got pregnant with my daughter. And so that was, I kind of felt like I wasn't prepared or I had, I didn't have enough time to prepare to become a mom. But as you were talking, I really was thinking, I'm like, you know what? All of us prepare, whether that be intentionally or unintentionally, as we go through life, um, we do, we experience different things and we're preparing in different ways. But I really like the fact that you were intentional in your preparation, even before you became a mom, that's such a beautiful, beautiful thing. And, And I wish that Um, more single people would really kind of be able to cultivate that mindset of preparing for motherhood, um, preparing for fatherhood, preparing for caring for the next generation, even if they don't want to become a mother or a father, but caring for the next generation is something that all of us can be a part of. Um, So that's really cool. Thank you for sharing that. And um, I know that you you mentioned about being a, a radical mother And um, I know you even have a Radical Mother Village podcast, um, but I'm wondering what does it mean to be a radical mother? Yeah, that's a great question. So for me, it means doing the work that it takes to reparent ourselves, Mm. take these cycles of trauma and really offer our kids a different experience than the one that we had. Mm. And that, you know, I kind of go more in depth on that, but, you know, that's sort of the basic formula of what a radical mother is. And, and essentially we don't believe in this idea that a good mother is a good martyr Mm. because I, I think that that's a myth. And I think that that's what the modern mainstream parenting, parenting paradigm would tell us. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a radical act to go against that and say, wait a minute, I'm not going to do that. I'm not martyring myself for my kids because then Mm -hmm. what that ultimately ends up doing is showing them that their needs and their values and their ideas don't matter Mm. and that they need to quiet and diminish and, and turn down their own beautiful shine in order to please the world. And I don't want that for my kids. And in order for me to show my kids, my kid, how to do something, I need to model that myself. And so that's where this, this act of starting with myself to create change 
which I, again, in this sort of radical mother paradigm, we don't see that as selfish. I say Mm -hmm. we, because there's a whole lot of us mamas that are doing this work, (laughs) but we don't see it as selfish to take care of ourselves, to do our own personal development work in service to our children. Because ultimately when we work on ourselves, when we do that work, either before we start to have kids or even after they're in the picture, that ultimately creates the kind of life that I think we all dream of giving our kids. It's the universal wish of mothers everywhere to give their kids a better life than the one that they had. Hmm. Well, in order to do that, you've got to model that. And to model that, you've got to give yourself a better life. And and that's still this radical act that you don't see modeled in society. You don't see it modeled at the playgroups. You don't see it modeled in the Facebook groups. Right. And, and I want to change that. I want to have that conversation and say, wait a minute, how is this supposed to work? How is my kid supposed to learn this thing that I'm not teaching him and then have him figure that doesn't make any sense. Somebody has got to break that cycle yeah. and that's going to be me. So I'm, I'm going to take that work on and it's, wow. it's incredible. That is an incredible work. It's a powerful work and it is definitely a, a challenging work. Um, and I just, I want to thank you for being a stand um, for that and to be a stand for kind of breaking these generational ways that we have conducted ourselves as parents throughout time and kind of breaking that chain um, of, you know, violence in that sense against our children and, and creating trauma um, for others. And so thank you so much for, for initiating that work and being a part of that work. That's beautiful. You mentioned about, um, a lot of times as mothers that we, you use the word martyr. Um, and I'm wondering what are some ways that, you know, if someone's listening, they're like, well, what does she mean when she says that mothers are martyrs? Like, what does that look like for you? Or what does that mean for you when you say a mom is a a martyr? Yeah. So it looks like the funny memes that you see on Instagram. It looks like the funny reels that are trending where the mom is completely a mess. She hasn't eaten or what she's eaten is the scrap, the crust that she cut off of her kid's PB and J sandwich. She hasn't gone pee in eight hours. She hasn't slept eight hours in a whole child's lifetime. Right. And she just gives and gives and gives and gives. Mm-hmm. And there's a time and a place for that. And I think that that's appropriate at certain seasons of motherhood. I don't think it's appropriate for all of motherhood. I think that that ultimately burns us out. I think it bleeds us dry. I think it shows our daughters that it's okay for the world to walk all over them, which is Mm -hmm. if I end up having a daughter is not what I want. I mean, it teaches our sons too, but women get that programming more deeply than men do, right? It it teaches them that their needs don't matter, that the cues and signals from their body that I'm thirsty, I'm tired, I'm hungry, I need to pee. Those can all be overridden Mm -hmm. to the service of others until there's nothing left of us. I love parenting my child. I love giving to him. I love doing things for him and, and all of those things for my husband and my friends and my family as well. But ultimately I can't, you know, it's, it's this cliche adage, but you can't pour from an empty cup. Mm. Mothering through martyrdom is trying to pour from an empty cup and then wondering why it's not working. Mm. And, and oftentimes what I see with moms is that they have so much mom guilt, which Mm -hmm. becomes ingrained in us. This is what you need to do. And if you stray from that, then you should feel guilty because you're a bad mom. And I don't think any of that's true. Yeah. And in reality, what we need to do is actually step back and say, wait a minute, I need to put up some boundaries. I need to reconnect with myself. I need to stop giving and giving and giving because I don't have anything left. 
I see women all the time, mothers with things like adrenal fatigue and burnout symptoms mm-hmm. because their liter- their physical body is starting to react to the state of constant go and constant mm-hmm. give. And that ultimately doesn't end up serving anyone. When mom is so burnt out that she can't physically get out of bed or she's chronically depressed, none of these things are good for anyone. And when we can actually stop and take care of ourselves, mm-hmm. that's a radical act that changes everything for everyone in our family. It shows them how to do it. And then we're actually able to show up, I think, as better mothers who are more patient, more attuned, more present, more calm, more gentle, all of the things that we wish to be. Yeah. That's so, that's so true. And you know, you mentioned about mom guilt and it's, it's funny because I I was doing a search on this the other day and I looked up mom guilt and I mean, there's like websites galore. I mean, posts, if you go into any mom's group, they do, they talk about mom guilt constantly guilty for, you know, playing too much with the kids and not cleaning the house. And then if they choose to clean the house, then they feel guilty that they're cleaning instead of playing with their kids. And it's like this, lose-lose situation. I feel like in a mom's heart where it's like, we're kind of pulled in all these different directions. And no matter what choice we make in the end, we feel guilty because we could have, or should have, or would have done something else better, faster, quicker, however, you know? And it's interesting that you mentioned that specifically with moms, because for some reason I don't, and and I could be wrong, but I I don't really see that talked about as much in dad groups, Um, you know, where dads aren't, I feel like for some reason, dads aren't feeling the brunt of this or carrying as much of that weight as, as moms do. Um, But it, it, it's true. It is. I feel like mom guilt is something that impacts every single one of us. I've yet to meet a mom that doesn't feel some sense of mom guilt, you know, Um, how do you deal with that? Or how do you process when you feel mom guilt? Um, how do you work through that in a, in a healthy, productive, meaningful way? Yeah, that's a great question. I actually just did a whole episode about mom guilt. I was answering questions from my Facebook group and and did a whole episode on this. So, (laughs) you know, I'll, I'll be honest. I actually think that mom guilt is the wrong term. Mm. I think that it's actually mom shame. Oh, wow. And the reason that I say that is because there's a big difference between guilt and shame. Mm -hmm. So guilt is I did something bad. And now I feel bad about my actions. I mm-hmm. regret something. I, I shouldn't have done that. Now I feel guilty, right? Mm-hmm. And that's an appropriate response to doing something that's outside of your value system that you have deemed as bad or you know someone else has deemed as bad, right? Shame is judging your actions and saying, I am bad because I did that. Not that I did bad, but I am bad. So you're, you're attaching an identity of badness that's correlated with that behavior. Mm -hmm. And I see most times that moms are saying that they are experiencing mom guilt. They're actually experiencing mom shame because they see it as a reflection of their worth. They see their mom response, their mom behavior as a reflection of their identity. They attach their identity to being a mother and they have an idea about what it means to be a good mom and what it means to be a bad mom. And a lot of this is, is, programming and conditioning that we inherit, that we see that's instilled in us from a very young age. And so for me, I like to really dig into those roots and see what's going on and and ask the question, is this actually my guilty feeling, my shame that I'm feeling, or is this what I should be feeling? Because a lot of time, for me anyway, I can't speak for everyone, but for me, a lot of times, I 
I don't feel bad about the thing that I'm doing and I don't attach my worth with this thing. And it's funny that you brought up um, the struggle between like housekeeping and housekeeping, cleaning your house and doing that sort of work and mothering, because I think that people often confuse those two things and they're actually two very separate things. Doing the work of mothering is not the same as doing the work of cleaning your house. Before I had kids, I still had to clean my house. (laughs) And yet once our kids are here, and especially if we are stay-at-home moms or work-from-home moms, and we're in our home with our kids all day, we feel this guilt that we should have this clean, this perfect Pinterest-worthy clean house. (laughs) And I don't know about you, but that doesn't happen for me. My house is not gross. Like it's not filthy. It gets cleaned, but it's always a mess, right? There's a difference. Yeah. I can't keep up with it. And so, you know, part of me, you know, society would tell me that I should feel mom guilt, that I'm not doing a good enough job about that. And instead I deal with it by saying, I'm not, I'm not picking that up. I am (laughs) not grabbing that. That is not my should. I can respond to my own internal shoulds. But mm-hmm. society saying a good mother also has a, a clean house all the time. Yeah. I, I just, I try to not attach my worth to it. And that's another thing is that so many women, and again, if, if we're not working, and I say work in the sense of creating income, mothering is work, right? Yes. But if we're not create, producing income, then we attach our identity of mother as our worth in the world. Because we feel like we need to be contributing something. So if we judge ourselves as being a bad mom against society's standards, then we feel guilty when we don't get it perfectly right. Mm. And newsflash, none of us get it perfectly right. Right. So for me, the dismantling mom guilt is really this bigger conversation about the roots of it and where it's coming from and what it actually is. And then being able to have that conversation with myself, do I need to feel guilty about this? Is it something I should feel guilty And then really just setting it down and work and doing the thing anyway, because that's the easiest way to get through some of those sort of sticky emotions is, is doing the hard thing anyway. Your kid falls down. What do you do? You tell them to get up. You don't say, okay, well you fell. You, you better just stay there forever. You say, get up, dust your pants off. You're okay. And we have to kind of do the same thing as moms. Mm -hmm. Wow. I, that is an absolutely powerful distinction that you made between guilt and shame. I'm like, I feel like I need to write that down and post that on my wall somewhere or something, you know, I mean, that's just, you're, you're so right because it's not about thinking necessarily that we did something bad, but again, it goes back to that feeling like I'm a bad mom because I didn't do X, Y, Z. And even going back to that, that whole conversation around should, um, that's something that I've, I've tried to work really hard to remove that from my vocabulary, remove that word from my vocabulary, because I feel like anytime that I'm telling someone else or telling myself like, oh, you should do X, Y, Z. It just, it like creates this space of judgment almost, I feel like. Um, whereas, you know, when I can come from a different perspective of saying like, I'm choosing to do this or I'm choosing to do that, like choosing the things that I'm doing in my life, as opposed to feeling like I'm obligated to do something because I should. Um, it, I feel like it just comes from a different place of like empowerment versus, um, you know, that guilt and that shame that a lot of times we experience when we hear the word should. Um, but you're absolutely right too. Like we have this idea in our heads of what a good mom or a good dad looks like um, in the world. And you mentioned that that's something that we get from our programming from our past. Um, and 
I think a lot of times, you know, we, whether we had a great experience with a parent or a really terrible experience with a parent growing up, it's like, we take those things and it's almost like, okay, this is what my experience was like with my mom or my dad. And I'm going to, I'm going to copy what they did, or I'm going to do the total opposite. You know, like we kind of have these things that we see about our parents. We're like, I really, I like that. And I I didn't so much like that. Um, And in a way it's almost like, you know, parenting from the past, I feel like that we're looking at what has been done before and we're figuring out how we want to parent now based on what we've experienced in the past. Um, But a lot of times our parents are coming from places of trauma too, you know? And so I, I know one of the big things that you're really passionate about is addressing those traumas, whether that be, you know, trauma that we've experienced personally, or even learning to deal with and address the trauma that our parents have experienced and that we're having to you know, be a part of dealing with their trauma and healing from their trauma, you know, maybe it wasn't directly against us, but what is that? Or I guess like, how can we start that process of healing the trauma, whether it was trauma directly committed against us or trauma that the people in our lives have experienced, because to some degree, everyone has experienced trauma in some shape or form or fashion, however large or small that may be. And whatever your trauma is, Um, whoever's listening, I want you to know, whatever your trauma is, it is valuable. um, And it is important if it's something that's meaningful for you and it is valid. Um, So I don't want you to feel like, you know, your trauma is insignificant or whatever, because if it's something that is meaningful or important or impacting your life in some way, um, then it's important and meaningful and impacting for you. And so it's something that you um, that you have the freedom to be able to address. So back to my question. (laughs) Uh, So how do we deal with um, how do we start dealing with trauma that we've experienced in order to be able to parent our children instead of parenting from the past to be able to parent from who we want to be in the present? Yeah. So, you know, I think the first step is a recognition that we are parenting from our trauma instead of from our ideals. Mm. And so for, you know, depending on who's listening to this, like you said, we've all experienced trauma to some degree to, you know, being a human part of that entails experiencing trauma. The moms that I work with usually know that they have experienced bigger or more complex traumas in their life than the everyday average person has. But for anyone listening to this, it's, it's first having that acknowledgement that we all have some kind of trauma in our history. And then starting to recognize and really start to dissect your behavior and figuring out is, am am I responding from a place that's true to my authentic self? Or am I responding from a place that is not true to that? And is this a trauma response? Mm -hmm. Now, oftentimes trauma responses can come from our wounded inner child. Mm-hmm. So the part of us, we, and we all have this inner child as a part of us. And, and this can sound kind of kooky if, if you've never heard of this or you aren't familiar with inner child work, mm-hmm. but essentially it's this idea that it's the part of you that is still childlike, that still sees a sense of wonder in the world, that can still engage in a sense of play, that can engage in possibility, right? And it, it can also be that part of you from your own childhood that had unmet needs, that had attachment trauma. So the way that you bonded to your primary caregivers, it can be that part of you that has those sticky spots that are still where wounds 
happened that you are carrying forward in your behavior and in your personality. Mm-hmm. And so when we start to address trauma, there's a lot, you know, depending on what it is, depending on how it's manifesting, there's lots of different ways. I, you know, one of the things I do with clients is I'm a certified TRE provider, which is tension and trauma releasing exercises. So this is working on a somatic level with the body to physically release some of the trauma mm-hmm. um, that's being stored in the body. But then for other people, it it's just this process of reparenting, which is to, to really look out for that inner child part of ourselves and start to recognize, was that reaction from me as an adult in my adult form? Or is that really sort of my inner child speaking up, asking for some attention. And typically the way that you can discern that is when you have a disproportionate reaction to something, right? So if your kid dumps a one of those squeezy, uh, like the fruit pouch things, you know, the, the squeezy pouches, and they take it and they squeeze it out all over the back of the car seat, I'm gonna probably raise my voice at that, right? Like if they do it on purpose, okay? <laughs> That's an appropriate reaction to be kind of annoyed at that mess and having to clean that up. Mm-hmm. And then you get over it and you clean up the mess and you move on. Yeah. A disproportionate reaction to that would be screaming your head off at your child and yanking them out of the car seat and yelling at them and having this sort of like rageful response that doesn't go away, that, that lingers into the yeah. next, you know, you clean it up and then you still have that rageful energy Mm-hmm. that moves forward with you. That's a disproportionate, that's too much, right? Like that isn't, yeah. that isn't an appropriate response to what happened. Mm-hmm. And that can usually be a, a sign that you're being triggered in a way of, of something that's a part of yourself. That's an unhealed trauma. And then we can start mm-hmm. to dig into that. Right. But yeah. really that first piece is that awareness. I'm often saying that alteration follows awareness in order to change things. We have to first understand that they're happening. And then we can start to find the appropriate tool whether it's reparenting and and journaling about that and working with a therapist or a coach like myself, or it's actually doing somatic work and you're having physical symptoms. And then we can address those through, you know, different modalities, but it's really kind of getting at the root of, of what's going on and how it's showing up in your life in the first place. Mm. That's really interesting that you say that. And um, I actually, I've never heard of TRE before, so this is kind of new for me. Um, but, you know, I, I was looking at your, your website and was hearing some of your podcasts. And one of the things that really kind of struck my attention um, in what I was observing was that uh, you talked about like that whole idea of that your body's holding on to trauma. And I feel like I could really connect with that because, you know, I, I've experienced, of course, <laughs> I've experienced trauma myself as well in my past. Um, and I've, you know, gone to therapy and gotten help, but I kind of felt like I was in this place where I talked to myself out, like there wasn't really, you know, you can only talk so much, right? Like, um, but for some reason, like a couple of years ago, um, I started experiencing panic attacks for the first time. And I totally thought that like, that was not a real thing. You know, um, I thought that panic attacks were just women like being dramatic and like over-exaggerating or whatever. And boy, did I get a clue in, um, to that. Cause I literally felt like I was having a heart attack. And I, I remember I would like go to the hospital and they would be like, you're not having a heart attack. 
your heart's fine. And I'm like, no, but really, I feel like I'm having a heart attack. And they were like, I think after like the third or fourth time, they were like, I think you're having a panic attack. You need to like, you know, see someone about that. And I, I spoke with my counselor and she explained to me a little bit about that, that sometimes, you know, people that are having panic attacks, um, it's exactly what you mentioned that this trauma that we stored in our bodies is like expressing itself physically through panic attacks or, you know, other symptoms or whatever. Um, and so I saw that you had mentioned that as well, you know, just having that issue of like dealing with panic attacks. And it was something that happened right after I had my son and dealing with like postpartum stuff and all of that. And then now having like panic attacks kind of happening, you know, multiple times a week was so challenging. Um, and so I'm wondering, can you tell us a little bit more about TRE? Cause you mentioned that that's something that specifically addresses, I guess, those like body responses to trauma. Am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, absolutely. And as you were just talking right there in that last bit, I was wondering if you were talking or if I was talking because, <laughs> um, so I actually have a lot, the, the difference being, I have a longer history of, with panic attacks, but the. I had my first panic attack when I was 12 years old and they would continue oh for, for almost 20 years before I finally eliminated them completely. And the way that I did that was through TRE and learning Do about my nervous system. <laughs> Do tell, uh, like, please tell me more. Cause they're terrible. Yeah. They're awful. Right. So, so a couple things. So one, I want to go back to what you said about you, you talked it out in therapy because this is actually brilliant. And I'm so glad that you brought this up because this, and this is the part where it's like, I could have been telling the story. I literally said to my ex-husband at one point after going to therapy for years and years and years, I said, I keep going. I keep having these panic attacks. Like what gives I've got, I don't have anything left to talk about. Yeah. I've talked about it all, but why am I still having these symptoms? Yeah. And then I had, I, I tend to have these like light bulb, like aha moments in my life. Here, let me move this. It keeps hitting. Um, and, and one of those moments was after I said that, and I realized I didn't have anything left to talk about. The symptoms weren't in my head. Mm. A panic attack, as you know, is a very physical expression of anxiety and of overwhelm in your body. It is a physical manifestation of stress. And so it hit me like, duh. If the, if the symptoms are in my body, then the treatment, the solution also needs to lie in my body. No wonder talking isn't working. I'm not having a problem with communication, right? I'm having this problem in my body. And that sent me on this path to sort of speaking to the universe and to God and saying, okay, you know, show me a sign, like put me on the right path. And I came across a flyer for TRE and the rest is history, right? That was more than six years ago. I practiced for the first time. I realized every panic attack I've ever had in my entire life was a tremor. I'm going to explain what tremors are in a moment, but, but the practice of TRE essentially. So tell us more. (laughs) Yeah. What TRE is, is tension and trauma releasing exercises, what that acronym stands for. It's a terrible name. I'll be the first to say it. And, um, essentially it's tapping into a shaking mechanism in the TRE world. We call it tremoring that everybody's body has the capacity to do. And most of you listening have probably experienced this kind of tremoring in your life and not necessarily understood what was going on. Mm. So this is the sort of shaking you feel if you're afraid of public speaking and you start shaking. This is the kind of shaking that you feel in your body um, if you hear sirens and you get startled. It's the kind of shaking that you experience after you've given birth, right? I don't know if you had this happen to you, Angela, but after giving birth and then your (laughs) legs shake, they can shake pretty violently after 
after giving birth. Did that happen to you? My whole body was shaking after giving birth. It was, it was crazy. I've never experienced anything like that before. Did they tell you what was going on? Did they no. say what was happening? No, I was like, what is happening to my, I mean, literally my whole body was, was shaking and it, for a while. Um, and no one ever explained to me why I was doing that or what happened. So if you know, please, I've, I would love to it's hear. It's scary as hell when it happens too, right? Cause you don't know what's going, like you've just done yeah. this thing and then you've got a baby and you're like, oh my God, what is wrong with me? Why am I, con- why am I having a seizure? Right. Yes, literally and in reality, what's happening is that your body is discharging mm. excess stress hormones from being activated. Your nervous system wow. was in an activated stress state. Mm-hmm. which causes a flood of stress hormones, mm-hmm. cortisol, adrenaline, epinephrine. These things start pumping through your body. We all know what that feels like. You get startled in the middle of the night. Yeah. This is a great example. So you hear a, a noise in the middle of the night, you wake up, <laughs> What how, you freeze, you're sweaty, your heart is like in your chest, right? Yeah. And then you yeah. you realize and your your conscious brain is like, oh, the wind blew the door shut. It wasn't somebody breaking in. It was just the just the wind. Yeah. But then what happens? Well, you're you lay in bed shaking and nervous and exactly <laughs> because, because there's a difference between stressors, the external conditions that create stress, stress being the physical reaction in our body. Mm-hmm. So you lay in bed and then your heart is still pounding. You're still sweating and you're still scared out of your mind, even though you rationally know there's nothing to be afraid of. Yeah. And what happens is that we live our lives like that. We go from stressful event to stressful event to stressful event, and we never actually let that spike of hormones settle back down. We don't let our heart rate come back down. We don't let our breathing return to normal. And over time, these things start to create physical symptoms. We start holding in our body differently. We actually start to physically change the shape of our body because of these stress hormones. Okay. And so your body has a built in way of regulating itself. And one of the ways that it can do that is through the shaking process. So birth, well, it's not a stressful, you know, we wouldn't call it stressful, or I guess maybe we probably should. (laughs) It's a very physical event that requires a lot of endurance and strength, which is why you need things like adrenaline and cortisol running through your body. Then you deliver the baby and then your body shakes to regulate yourself, to bring you back to Mm. a baseline. And so in TRE, what we're doing is we're tapping into that shaking mechanism, every mammal's nervous system. So you may have seen your dog shaking during a thunderstorm, right? That's sort of like quivering or horses will do this as well that we can witness. And all it is, is your body trying to regulate itself. And what do we do as humans? We say shaking means you're afraid and afraid is weak and we don't like weakness. And so we learn at a very young age to inhibit those things. Hmm. In reality, when we just let them happen, then our body returns to normal and we can go about our day. What I experienced with panic attacks is that those were tremors. My body was trying to regulate itself and I didn't understand what was happening and I was holding it in. Mm -hmm. And the more I held and the more I tried to keep that bottled up, the worse it got because then it exploded. It's sort of like, if you've seen the movie Armageddon, I'm going to date myself here, but the movie Armageddon, Uh they talk about blowing Have you seen this movie? I have not seen Armageddon. Oh my gosh. You must be younger than me. If you have (laughs) not seen the movie Armageddon, there's this scene, they have to blow up the asteroid that's going to destroy the world. Right. And so they're discussing Uh how to do it. And they talk about, well, can't we just put a a bomb on the surface? And the, the scientist explains, no, think about it. You put a firecracker in the palm of your open hand and you set it off. What happens? You're going to burn your hand. Mm-hmm. Now imagine that same firecracker and you close your fist and you set it off. 
then what happens? You blow your hand off. Yeah. And that's sort of the difference between a panic attack and just doing things to discharge your stress. Discharging your stress sometimes is going to look a little ugly. Sometimes it's going to burn your hand, but if you fight it and you clench your fist up, mm-hmm. then it explodes. And that's just what a panic attack is, right? It's your, actually your body's attempt at regulation. And so when you can start to understand that and you can start to do the things that you need to, to get you to the point where you're not exploding like that, then you can actually stop panic attacks from ever happening in the first place. Oh my God. That was a really long answer. <laughs> that's, that, that's incredible. I mean, I have, I've never known like how most to people don't, right? Like we, that. exactly. Yeah. And that's why I, I do these interviews because I want more people to know. I want to like shout it from the rooftops because this is life-changing information. Yeah, This information allows people to have a life that's completely free of this stuff. And it's yeah. really simple. Wow. That's amazing. So what, I mean, what do you do then? I guess like if you feel a panic attack coming on or, or do you not even, do you not even get those symptoms anymore? So for me, I don't even get those symptoms anymore because of the work that I've done. So at this point in my life, what I've done is two things. One, I've dealt with the trauma that I was holding on to. Mm-hmm. So the existing stuff that I sort of carried up with me to the point that I started practicing. Mm-hmm. And then two, I've expanded my capacity to, for stressful events to exist and happen without overwhelming me. So I've expanded what's called my window of tolerance. We all have a window of tolerance, right? And it's basically the zone where we can, can have things happen to us, but we can return back to a baseline with relative ease. Mm -hmm. So it's not to say that we don't get upset. It's not to say that we don't ever yell at our kids. It's not to say that we don't ever lock ourselves in the bathroom and hide for five minutes, but it means that we're able to then come out of the bathroom and be okay. It means instead of becoming depressed, and staying in bed for days and weeks and months on end, Mm -hmm. we can just go reset in the bathroom for five minutes and then come back and show up as mom again. Mm -hmm. And so doing that work has made it so that I don't need to have a panic attack, right? Mm -hmm. I'm kind of doing maintenance on my nervous system. I I do things that I'd say nourish my nervous system on a regular basis, Mm -hmm. but I didn't know how to do any of this before because we're not taught this stuff. That's why I'm passionate about teaching my clients, what I call nervous system literacy, I have a whole course that teaches you this stuff, right? Oh, wow. It's, that's designed for those mamas out there like you that are going, I didn't know that. Like, why didn't somebody tell me? And I'm, I'm trying to be like, I'm trying to tell you. Sign yeah, up for like, this why course. didn't my therapist tell me that, <laughs> that yeah, I could, well, you know, stop paying her and I could work and be free and yeah. not have to deal with panic attacks anymore? I mean, that would be awesome. Right. I mean, I still, and don't, I don't want to discount therapy. I still, I have a therapist. I love her dearly. And I I see her every week and it's amazing. It's like, it's like chatting with a girlfriend at this point, you know, like to keep me, to keep me in that place. But, but we don't, when we start to learn to work with our bodies, instead of fighting against them, we can turn our stress responses from stumbling blocks into superpowers. Mm. Right. And that's what I that's my work in the world is to try to get as many radical mothers as possible, understanding that, that this is possible and that it's actually really easy when we start to learn just the basic mechanics of how our nervous system is designed so that we can work with it. Because I'm a mom, I want to work smarter, not harder. I don't have time. 
for therapy to take years. I don't have time to read a 500 page book about what to do. I don't have time. I want to understand what to do and then be able to do it. And that's exactly what I try to teach my clients because I get it. I'm right there with them. Yeah. And um, you mentioned a course, I'm going to make sure that I, I get the link for that so that I can include that and make sure that I share that in the show notes. So anyone who's interested in that course will be able to be a part of that because that sounds like a really incredible opportunity to be able to really be intentional about healing and, and recovering from this, the trauma that we've experienced in our lives and to be able to be the kind of moms and the kind of human beings that we want to be in the world, you know, free from those kind of like stress and, and anxiety and the guilt and the shame that so many of us experience. Um, so make sure that you check out the show notes. I will include that for sure. Um, but I'm wondering, can you share maybe uh, just a couple, I know you have a lot of tips that you could share. Can you share a couple practical tips that maybe someone who's interested in exploring this kind of work that would be helpful for them? Yeah. So one of my favorites for moms, because I, I, this fits into mom life well, and it works on multiple stress discharge pathways all at once is to have a dance party. Okay. So hear me out. When you are feeling a little edgy, stressed out, or you notice your kids are. So for in our house, we call it the five o'clock fussies, right? It's like, it seems to be like the perfect storm every day. I'm hungry. He's hungry. I'm trying to cook dinner. He wants me to like skip the YouTube commercial that's playing and I don't have enough hands. And so we start to get a little, we get a little bunchy as my aunt calls it, a little crabby, right? Five o'clock fussies. So what you can do to start to move some of that energy around instead of letting it get stuck in your system and overwhelm you is turn on some loud dance music, right? It can be kid-friendly. It can be, it can be whatever, right? I have a playlist that I keep on my phone of just like, turn it on and shake your booty music. Uh We have a dance party. And what that's doing is it's physical movement, which helps to move those stress hormones, right? Mm -hmm. It's deep breathing. It usually ends in laughter, which is another way to discharge stress. It's social connection, which is another way to discharge stress. And all of these things fitting together. Your kid has no idea why they're dancing with you. They just think you're being goofy mom at five o'clock again, right? (laughs) And and depending, your daughter might be on the edge of not wanting you, of being too cool to do this with you, but- up until so she's the, the, totally still down to dance. Okay, great. Like as I start to get into like the, the tweeny teen years, they may be less likely to do this, but for the most part, <laughs> most kids are going to be willing to do this with, and you make it fun. You make it hokey, you know, you do whatever, uh-huh. but through all of that, what you're doing is you're taking those five o'clock fussies and you're wiping them out mm. and then you're going to be reset you're going to have taken some deep breaths. You're going to have gotten some movement. You're going to be able that in that action, you're going to be able to center and ground yourself. And you're going to be able to do that for your kid. It's kind of like, I think of it like sneaking vegetables into their food. Uh-huh. You're sneaking this nervous system regulation work into the day without them realizing what's going mm-hmm. on. It's good for them. They don't know why. And you're doing it and, and everybody's getting the benefit. So dance party yeah. is my favorite. That's brilliant. I love that. That tip. I'm definitely going to have to start trying that one out the dance party. Um, that's really, really cool. Thank you for sharing that tip with us. Um, and I know like, of course, you know, as moms, we're doing this work for ourselves, right? Like we're trying to, um, you know, put in this work to heal from the trauma that we've experienced. And then of course, we're not wanting to pass on or create more trauma 
for our for our children. I'm wondering how has this work impacted you as a mom and how you're kind of shifting the narrative of the way that you were raised and then how is that transforming that into how you're raising your child now? Yeah. So I have a saying, which is that when mothers heal, the world heals. Mm. And I say that because I know that it's true. And I say that, and I know that it's true because I've seen it in my own life. And I've seen the difference that it has made for myself to do this work. Hmm. And that was part of the reason I did it. But then really the reason I did it also was for my son. And I can witness him at almost three years old. He has his foundation for the rest of his life, his attachment patterns are completely different. His experience in just three years of his life have been more positive and more nurturing and more loving and more supportive than my entire childhood. Mm -hmm. And that has all only been possible because of the work that I've done on myself. I've been able to show up more attuned, more present, more patient, more calm, more regulating for him than I ever would have been able to do five, 10, 15 years ago before I had started doing this work. And what's been amazing too, is that I expected as a cycle breaker to break the cycle and have that affect my family tree down the line from me. Mm -hmm. But I never expected or anticipated is that it would actually make a difference up the line in my family tree as well. Mm -hmm. My father, who I was estranged from for over a decade, left my house about an hour ago. He's one of my son's favorite people on earth. We have a great relationship now. He comes over and he, he, he watches my son while I work. And I could, if you had asked me even, even three years ago when I was pregnant, if this reality was possible, I would have said no way on earth. And it's only, he hasn't changed. He has, but really what's happened is that I've changed and I've been able to show up. You're like going to make me cry. That's powerful. I'm sorry. Go ahead. (laughs) No, no. I mean, it makes me want to cry too. Right. Because I mean, I literally, I didn't talk to him for over 10 years. I completely cut him out of my life. I was okay to never see or speak to him again. Mm -hmm. And I, I was at peace with that. If that's what it took to keep my own sanity and to do what I needed to do to protect myself. I had that boundary up and I never expected to let him back in. I never anticipated it. It was never my goal. I never wanted it. And I also want to say too, if you're listening to this and you're in a place where you are estranged from family, I know that is very common, whether it's your father, your mother, or sibling, anyone. Yeah. This isn't the goal of doing the work. And if, if you're not in that place or you don't see that happening for yourself, that's okay. You're not doing it wrong. I just want to show you what is a possibility and it's a possibility that I wish someone had told me because, and you know what, honestly, even if they had, I probably wouldn't have believed them because that's how much I had cut him out and for good reason. Right. But because of the work that I've done on myself, it has changed that so that now my son gets to have a relationship with his grandfather. Yeah. I had taken away my relationship with my father and I didn't mean to cut out the grandfather experience for my son, but that was going to be a casualty of that decision. And now because of this work and because of the impact that it's had, my son gets to have his grandfather. I get to have my father back. And, and this, 
this ripples out, right? This changes my father's life. It changes how I'm able to show up at work. It's, it changes how I'm able to show up in my partnership. That changes how he's able to, right? It starts to ripple out. It affects the world. Yeah. I am a different person on planet earth now. And I, I not only get to show other people this difference, but I get to, to model that and to show it to more people as well. So when mothers heal, the world heals. This is not selfish work. This is the best most fulfilling, most selfless act you can actually do to take this stuff on that no one else in your family has bothered to do. Because really that's what it boils down to is you have the strength and the determination and the willpower and the grit to keep going. That is special mama. So you really, you got to honor that and run with it because you are truly magical for doing this work. Yeah. You're absolutely right. And, um, you know, it's one of the reasons why like the tagline of my post is having conversations that can change the world. And because I truly believe that being willing to, to have these kinds of conversations and share these ideas and being willing to put in this work with other people and, and the work, you know, with others, the work on ourselves, like it truly does. It makes a difference in the world. Um, and you know, it's just, it's powerful. And I mean, I'm just, over here, like in tears, hearing you talk about your dad, because what an incredible gift, you know, we do, we, a lot of times as parents, we think about that down the line change that we're going to make, you know, like different aspects of abuse or trauma or whatever are going to stop with me as a mom. And it's going to be different for my children. Um, but you're absolutely right. I, I definitely have experienced that same thing, not quite, you know, to that extent, but, um, you know, even seeing that the way that I'm parenting my children, like my parents are noticing, you know, my parents are noticing that I'm not punishing my children. And, you know, like they're noticing that I'm treating them with kindness and, and with gentleness and respect instead of like yelling at them or whatever. And it like, it's transforming the way that they're interacting with my children now, which is mm-hmm. so incredible Same. for me to see, you know, like, I mean, I remember you know, just little things, you know, like in the way that my parents would deal with me or want to spank me or yell at me about finishing all my food at the dinner table or, you know, whatever, like, and my parents were, you know, amazing. Like we had a great, what I would consider to be a good relationship. Like, you know, I love them. We respect each other, but even just seeing in those little shifts in the way that they're observing the way that I'm interacting with my kids. And then they're also making changes in the way that they're interacting with them. And even in the way that they're interacting with me, like, it's just, it's beautiful. And I never imagined that it would kind of go both ways, you know, like that, that they would see that. But at the same time, I, I, I feel like my parents also kind of experienced this feeling of like, they're seeing me parent in a different way. And I think there was some level of oh, like, I'm sorry, I thought you called me. I'm sorry. Hold on. <laughs> what? I no worries (laughs) no worries usually it's my son that interrupts that was my husband (laughs) no worries um my daughter actually came in on my first interview with someone my daughter came in the middle of my interview so we're interruptions are totally okay it's all a part of life right (laughs) (laughs) but yeah this is raw real real life here um but I was saying that you know like my as my parents were watching it wasn't all this like positive feeling from them too. I think a lot of, a lot of what they were going through and watching me parent differently. I feel like they almost thought that I was doing it as like a judgment of them or that I thought that my mom was a bad mom because she didn't do these things this way. Um, And I, you know, I'm, I'm blessed that now they're seeing the benefit of it, but I know that there are still that are people out there that are experiencing that feeling of like, they're wanting to do something different with their kids 
and their parents are not on board or their parents are not understanding or they are feeling like their parents are feeling judgment and criticism because their kids are deciding to do things differently. How can we handle that with, with, our, with our parents that are watching us raise their grandchildren in ways that are totally different than what they've experienced or what they chose to do with us? Mm-hmm. That's a really, really great point. Um, I've actually had this conversation with my mother several times. So I, as a baby, was left to cry it out in my crib. Mm-hmm. And she would put, I was like, how did, because my son has really, really struggled with sleep. And mm-hmm. we've, I've refused to do cry it out with him. Yeah. So I'm talking with my mom. I'm like, well, how did I sleep? And she's like, I don't know. You slept fine. I guess I slept fine. I didn't hear you. And I was like, what do you mean? And she's like, I don't know. I just put you in your room and left you in your crib. And then I came back in the morning and I'm like, and I didn't scream. And she's like, I don't know. I was asleep. Oh, wow. I don't know how, I I don't know how you do that. But, um, (laughs) but the point is, so she's seen me both struggle with my son and also refuse to just let him struggle alone. Right. That was something that really, uh, I really deeply cared about. So I've, I've had this conversation with her of, of then her saying, well, I, you know, I I feel bad now knowing the harm that it did and and all of that. Mm. And I think the thing is for those people who are dealing with parents who, you know, parented differently than them and are offering judgment about that or feeling judged by that, I guess is what I should say. It's kind of comes down to boundary setting work. And it can be really easy to want to feel responsible for your parents' emotional reaction and response to what you're doing. And the reality is their response is theirs. Mm. And that's really hard. Don't get me wrong. It's not easy work to not own their reaction. Mm -hmm. But the work for you is to say, I'm doing this differently and I understand that you feel judged and I, I'm not meaning it in that way. That's not, it's not a judgment on you or maybe it is. I mean, it was a judgment on my mother. I thought she did a bad job, <laughs> <laughs> but if you're not judging your parents and you're just simply doing it, doing differently because you know better and now you're doing better and you explain that that's all you need to do. Yeah. And it's really hard, but you need to not own how they're responding to it. It's mm-hmm. kind of like what we have to do with our kids. You tell your kids something and then they get mad at you and they don't like it. And they try to push back and you have to say, I'm sorry, you're upset. And you do, and you set the boundary anyway. Yeah. And the same is true with how we handle our parents is kind of the same way that we need to handle our kids, right? That we need to not feel ownership of the response. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Their response is is their responsibility basically, right? Yes, exactly. And that's hard. I mean, I get it. I, I mean- and, that, and that's true for any interaction that you have with anyone. As long as you're doing what you need to do of being kind and communicating clearly, right? And 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 all of that. Yeah. How someone responds to your boundary is not your responsibility. Hmm. And that just it gets easier with practice. Yeah. And and it can be really hard because we're so emotionally invested in our parents that their reactions can really it's easy for us to take them personally, but but like you just said, their response is their responsibility and, and they, that's their work to do. So, wow. That's gotta do it anyway. (laughs) I love that. Thank you so much for, for sharing that. I think that's, it is, it can definitely be challenging because we do, we, you know, we want to, 
make our parents proud. And, um, but it definitely can be challenging when you kind of have those conflicting values, but I, I appreciate that you are able to still reiterate that we can communicate our intentions. We can communicate our heart, our desire, our commitments, um, without, that being judgmental of them necessarily, you know, and that we can communicate our commitments and our stand for our children and not be, you know, jerks about it or whatever, but like we, we can be kind, but we can still hold that boundary that you mentioned, you know, we don't have to necessarily be a pushover or compromise our convictions just to, you know, make someone else feel better about themselves if it doesn't align with what we're committed to. Um, but it, it's definitely, it definitely can be challenging for sure. Um, I, I'm, oh gosh, I feel like there's so many things like I just want to ask you about and pick your brain about. Um, I'm wondering also, I know you, you mentioned that you have a podcast um, and I know you do a whole bunch of other things related to the TRE work um, and all this other stuff. I'm wondering what are some other ways that you might be able to support um, my listeners if they're wanting to get connected to the work that you're doing or they're hearing you talk about what's possible for them with being free from past trauma and from relating to their children in a new way. How can people get connected with you, Krista? So I have the podcast, like you mentioned, which is called the Radical Mother Village. I also have a free Facebook group that has the same name. I sort of joke and call it my virtual village. So the Radical Mother Village online. Um, and then you can also find information about me and stay connected through my website, which is kristabevan.com. I've got a free um, calm mom strategy on there that can help you deal with the inevitable stress of life, but create a plan for it. I find that moms tend to have a plan for everything else. We have grocery lists, we have um, the, the schedules and the calendars and the, you know, all of that where we, we keep all of this stuff yet. We don't have any plan for stress in our lives and we don't really know how to actually deal with it appropriately. So the, the calm mom strategy will help you do all that. And you can grab that on my website. Um, and then I do coaching with clients. I do private one-on-one coaching. We do TRE work. And then I also have that self-paced, um, course called the reactive to regulated mother, and that'll help walk you through all of this nervous system literacy foundation work that I've been talking about. That sounds incredible. And again, don't worry, I'm going to include all of those links that she just mentioned so that you can make sure that you can connect with Krista and um, get involved in her Facebook group, um, take those courses that she mentioned. She also mentioned the free calm um, thing that she's going to give. Is it, is it a PDF or a yeah, it's a workbook. It's got, okay. yeah, it's got information and then some, some places to fill some stuff out. Awesome. So a free workbook that you guys are going to be able to have access to. I'm really excited to look into those resources myself. Um, that is really, really incredible. And I'm wondering as we wrap up today, if you could leave, or if you could have one piece of advice that you would want to share with any mom or dad, um, or grandparent or whatever, any person who's listening today, what what would that one piece of advice that you would want to share with them? What would that be? There's a lot of noise in parenting. It's one of the things about living in this day and age is there's so much information available to us, but I still think that the best parenting advice you can ever get is listening to your own intuition. Mm. That's powerful. Yeah, you're, you're, you're right. A lot of times we kind of can get bombarded with all these 
people and things and groups and and a lot of it too is so conflicting and it and it can be difficult to know like what's you know what's best um but I, I truly do believe that especially mother's intuition is just it's something unique I feel like that God gives us to know instinctively these these things that are just so core to our humanity of treating people with with kindness and gentleness and respect and love and these kind of desires for for peace and for freedom um and so yeah i think that's wonderful wonderful advice um a lot of times it can be hard to trust ourselves but but um thank you for reminding us to trust our intuition and to know that um that we have that wisdom inside of us we don't have to always get it from outside but there is wisdom inside of us that we need to pay close attention to and that makes a difference so Yes. Thank you for sharing that. All right. Um, and I want to thank all of you so much for being a part of our Peaceful World Schooling episode today. This has been absolutely mind-blowing for me. Um, I feel like I have so many new things now that I want to research and <laughs> research and look into and explore. And I'm really excited for the possibility of living free from panic attacks. That sounds incredible. Um, so if, if you have struggled with any of those things before, if you still feel like you have trauma from your past that you would like to start working on, please make sure that you connect with Krista. Um, she is an incredible, incredible resource that has been doing this work for a long time and she has so much to offer the world um, and you. So um, please make sure that you connect with her. And I want to thank you for joining us on this um, episode of the Peaceful World Schooling podcast. I hope that this episode has been as much of a blessing for every single person and that has been listening as much as it has been a blessing for me. Um, remember that there are new episodes of the podcast that are released every single Tuesday. So make sure that you subscribe so you will not miss out on a single one. And if you would like to support my work and the work that I'm doing, um, make sure that you share this episode with your friends and family and check out all the links in the description, as I mentioned before. I hope that your day is as wonderful as you are, and I'll see you next Tuesday. Bye. Join us next Tuesday on the Peaceful World Schooling Podcast. I'm your host, Angela Harders, and I hope that your day is as wonderful as you are. If you like this video, please make sure you subscribe and click the bell so you will not miss out on a single episode.